I'm Ian MacArthur, and this is Good Employment Chatter, the podcast of the Greater Manchester Good Employment Charter. In this series, we'll give you an inside view to the lives of key figures across Greater Manchester, their stories, employment journeys, and their perspective on why good employment really matters. Today I'm joined by Professor Kate Pickett. Kate is Professor of Epidemiology in the Department of Health Sciences at the University of York. She's a Fellow of the RSA and of the Faculty of Public Health. Kate's research focuses on the social determinants of health and health inequalities. And together with Richard Wilkinson, co-authored the best-selling books The Spirit Level and The Inner Level, Who better then than Kate to chair the Greater Manchester Independent Inequalities Commission, which was launched in October last year. Kate, many thanks for being with us today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Kate, your work on inequalities has in many ways been groundbreaking, delivering a very clear and focused way uh, the linkages between economic inequality and the social determinants of health and bringing to life the fact that it's the gap that really matters. We understand that work is and has always been a factor in this, and right now the interplay between good employment and inequalities has been drawn into focus perhaps like never before. I'm really looking forward to our chat today and the challenges ahead and how the good work agenda can help drive greater equality and well-being in the city region. However, before we get into the meaty issues, Kate, I'd like to start with a personal perspective on work and employment. And before your academic career, can you tell me what your your very first job was? It might have been a Saturday job. It might have been a, a holiday job. What was your first experience of work? Oh, my very first job was a paper round. Mm. Tell me about it. <laughs> I was fired, actually. Um, (laughs) That's a great start. I had a paper round, which I quite enjoyed. You know, you could get a paper round in those days when you were 13. So it was the Mm -hmm. first paid employment that you could legally get. And I was very eager to have a paper round. And I took it quite seriously at first. Um, I was struck by how many lonely people I met, actually, on my paper round. And one time got my family very upset and very worried because I hadn't finished it and nobody knew where I was. But I was having tea with an old lady mm-hmm. who really just needed to chat. And so I used to chat with her and I used to find it quite hard to leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So I'd worried everybody. Um, eventually, as I got a little bit older, I thought that boys were more important than delivering papers. And um, <laughs> <laughs> one day, one day I was offered a date and went on that instead of my paper round and lost my job. Dear me, men get in the way. So um, was that on a bike? Did you, what time in the morning was that, Kate? It was an evening paper round. Uh-huh. It was every day delivering the local paper and I did it on foot. We were, uh, one of our earlier um, conversations in this series, we talked about um, newspapers and we talked about the fact that um, young people today wouldn't understand that there was an evening paper uh, to get the news. Um, or a local paper, yes, a indeed. A local paper, indeed. Yes. Indeed, things have really changed. So um, from those uh, early beginnings, um, was it in any way influential to think your, your thoughts about how work should be and how, how <coughs> uh, an employer and employee relationship should work? 
Well, it was because like many young people, I had quite a lot of um, Saturday jobs, evening jobs um, when I was at school and then when I was a student as well at, at uni. Waitressing, shop work, temporary office work, yeah. um, pub work. Um, and I think, yes, it very much brought home to me the importance of work in giving you a sense of self-respect and being able to earn earn your own money, but also in giving you relationships with other people, more mm -hmm. importantly, with, with colleagues, with the public, when you're engaged with the public and, and the pleasure that that kind of connection can bring. Um, some of those jobs taught me how wonderful it is when you are in a community of mutual respect yeah. um, and where your employment is is considered to be making a useful contribution and you're part of a team. And some of those jobs taught me um, the downside of working in, in hierarchies where you're not respected or you don't feel part of a team. So those those employment experiences sort of throughout my earlier years did, did I think, teach me a lot about the world of work, about what it means to be an employee, what it means to be part of a team. And exposed you, I guess, and you're alluding to it, to uh, levels of unfairness occasionally. Levels of unfairness and lack of status. Um, the importance of whether or not you have a voice, a say in what you do and how you do it. Um, whether you're asked to do things respectfully, whether you can contribute an idea or not. Yeah, so issues around fairness and status, I think I think those come up in everybody's work, actually. Yeah. And did, the, did those early experiences drive your academic interest later, or what, what, what drove your interest on the, the inequalities agenda particularly, Kate? Well, I was interested in health inequalities when I was when I was much younger I thought that when I had finished my research training that I would go and work in low and middle income countries around issues to do with um, population nutrition I was interested in hunger famine why we couldn't feed the world and I thought that's where my career would be and then I went to America to study and realized that all of the health problems to do with um, food insecurity, low birth weight, poor growth among children. Those were right there on my doorstep there. Mm. And that opened my eyes to health inequalities more broadly and the importance of the social determinants of work, of, of health and well-being in general. Um, and work, of course, employment is, is very much part of that pattern of the social determinants of health. And then the 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 work that you've you've done with um, Richard Wilkinson has been, as I said, groundbreaking in many respects. Because for me, when I read the Spirit Level, and it, I can't believe it was was it two thousand and nine. It uh, was yes. Um, it, it it seems it's uh, longer longer ago than that, but. For for me, when I, I read it, and particularly some of the uh, the graphs that so visibly show uh, the correlations, um, it it cemented something I have felt 
it felt right that the gap was important more than dealing with the consequences of inequality either trying to support uh, the poor it it was a, a way of seeing a, a far more systemic problem um, in the way that uh, that that work illustrated is that you know something that you're continuing to drive that, that systemic inequality uh, issues that we need to address yes absolutely so i think i think we showed three things in that book that that are important as you say we showed that the gap between the rich and the poor in different societies is important you know it affects outcomes so if you've got a much bigger gap between the rich and the poor, then you have worse health on lots of different measures and lots of other worse outcomes, including things like educational attainment, um, social mobility, levels of imprisonment, all sorts of things. So mm. we showed that in more unequal societies, those problems were a lot more common and a lot of problems were related to that to that gap. But the third thing I think we showed that was very important was that everybody's affected by inequality in society. So if you've got a really hierarchical, unequal society, yes, it affects those at the bottom of society the most. The poor do suffer the impact of inequality the most, but everybody's affected. So even if you're near the top of society, you know, you've got good income, good education, high social class, your well-being is not as good as it would be if you had those same things in a more equal country or society. And so that showing that everybody's affected, I think was a powerful thing, but it also shows us how powerful a lever reducing inequality can be for improving the quality of life for everybody. So yes, we have continued that work and um, our second book together, Richard and I, The Inner Level, focused very much on the mechanisms by which that gap between rich and poor creates those worse outcomes in health and well-being and education and so on. And those pathways are what academics and researchers call psychosocial pathways. So they're to do with how we think, how we feel, um, how we behave. And work is a really, really important part of those psychosocial pathways through which inequality affects well-being. Because it's at work, most often, that those modern inequalities get set. You know, income inequality was the measure we were using to look at the effects of inequality on society. And it's at work that your income is set. But work also is profoundly important for people's well-being in and of itself. So if you feel you're untreated unfairly at work, you're more likely to have a heart attack. And that's controlling for all kinds of other things. That's research from London. Mm -hmm. If you're at work, that's where your friends are and your social network and your sense of self-respect. And, and so work becomes really important in terms of your relationships and how you feel about yourself and your self sense of agency and your sense of self-efficacy. So work is really central in that, in that link between how equal or unequal a society is and your well-being. And so it's the quality of your work that really matters. So the principles that hold true throughout spirit level, 
can work at scale because you use I know you you use American states as well as countries in terms of comparisons but that that also works at a city region level or it works right down to a, a workplace the, the same things hold true well those are interesting questions so if you, if you think about measuring income inequality when you measure it at the level of whole countries or American states or big city regions, then yes, we can see that the more equal ones do better. Once you get down to small neighbourhoods, the same doesn't hold true because small neighbourhoods tend to be much more um, coherent, much more homogeneous. You know, you don't get a lot of inequality within a small neighbourhood. Um, and if you live in a poor neighbourhood, then your health and your well-being will be less good because that community is poor in relation to the rest of society, not because there's a lot of inequality within it. Within it. So, so the scale does matter, but when you're thinking about how relationships among people affect our well-being, and those are indeed shaped by those national levels of inequality, they are of course also shaped within an institution about how hierarchical that institution is, how you're treated, how you're engaged with, whether or not you feel respected. So those psychosocial issues to do with work can certainly be shaped and influenced at the level of a workplace, a company, an institution. That, that's really interesting um, when we take it into our world of good employment. We've, as you know, been been running for about 18 months now and, and many of the employers that have been early adopters of the Charter and engaged with the Charter have been mutuals, um, perhaps. Mm. Uh, they may have been co-ops, they may have been um, employee-owned businesses um, and we're finding certainly levels of engagement and good practice uh, of it, um, appears much higher in that type of organization. I say that type because they don't all have to be formally, legally uh, in those structures, but the culture that's set at the top um, of empowerment, um, listening, uh, as, uh, as well as engagement um, with staff seems to be reflected in good employment practice. Yes, yeah, so and that's exactly what the research shows. I remember Richard going to talk to somebody in an employee-owned company at one point about our research, and they said it changes, you know, being an employee-owned company or, or being a mutual, being, being a democratic mm. institution, it changes you from being um, a property, you know, business as a piece of property, into it being a community. Um, so I think what you're saying is, is very true, you know, mutuals, co-ops, employee-owned businesses and all of the other um, different structures that might fit under that, that broader umbrella give people meaningful representation in their workplaces. Um, and it's that meaningful, I think, that, that, that really matters. And what research shows is that if you've got that kind of um, democracy and you've got meaningful representation, then actually you get greater productivity. So it isn't just nice to do things this way, it's beneficial to do things this way. And that's the point you make about society that is um, less unequal 
everyone benefits from that, and the same would be true in a, a in an employer situation in an organisation. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Um, for many, uh, Kate, I think the the Greater Manchester economy, particularly the recovery from um, the IRA bomb, has been characteristic by a growth in finance, digital, professional services, life sciences, um, sectors that create high-value jobs, um, so-called high-value jobs, uh, contrasting sharply with low-pay and insecure work that's a feature of many of the related sectors that support um, those uh, activities. And to a large extent, I guess, the rise of the gig economy as well in Greater Manchester. The mayor has set out a vision for a real living wage region, as you know, mm. um, and we'll, we will continue to engage with employers of all kinds across the city. But perhaps even coupled with the climate change agenda, do you think there's a, a need for structural economic change to address some of these issues now? Well, I do, and I think we should probably talk about how the pandemic affects these things as well. Mm. So if we think about the industries that you just mentioned, you know, life sciences, finance, um, the kinds of sectors that are seen as bringing, you know, large amounts of, of, of value into the city region. I think it's really important that we remember their interdependence on the foundational economy. Yeah. And, and that we remember that, you know, no, no sector and no organization within a sector stands alone and achieves its success independent from the city or the region in which it sits, the communities from which it draws its employees, um, the businesses that surround it, that are maybe are in its supply chain or that feed its workers. We're all interconnected. And you couldn't have those high value sectors without the foundational economy and everybody does better when all sectors of the economy are stronger. Mm. So I do think there is a need, I think, for a rebalance within our economies nationwide. Um, and I think this is a pivotal moment for thinking about what our economies should look like and who our economies are in service to. What are they for? That is to do with us thinking about how we respond to the challenges of the climate emergency, but right now is also to do with how we respond to the COVID-19 pandemic and to the challenges that that has highlighted for us around the world of work um, and employment. I think particularly the foundational economy um, and its exposure through what we've seen with the, the pandemic has um, shone a light on how um, poor our resilience is to this sort of impact. Yes, um, I think that's exactly the right word. So throughout the pandemic, you know, we've seen that people in low paid and precarious work have been unable to take actions to protect themselves and their families from COVID um, because they have not been able 
to stop working or stop engaging in the kinds of employment they're in or stay home for long periods. And so low pay and insecure work has been related to um, greater incidence of COVID-19 infection and more, more transmission. We've seen some people's working um, environments exposed as environments that don't give them the ability to protect themselves and protect others. Um, warehouses, factories, um, cold storage working in particular. But then the other thing, the other light I think that COVID has shone on work is is the importance of that foundational economy and what what a key worker is. You know what? Two years ago, if somebody had asked you to sort of you know name key workers in the economy, I think we might have given different answers to what we give post COVID, where the importance of caring, the importance of um, service work has been really highlighted. And then once we had a shutdown of hospitality and retail, you know, how much all of our lives are enriched mm. by those things being in the economy. So I think it's it's taught us a lot about how exposed some people can be to risk because of the nature of their employment. And it's taught us a lot about what sorts of jobs and sectors and employment we should really value as contributing to a thriving society. Um, and it's, we should have been having that conversation a long time ago. It's, it's sad that it's COVID forcing us into this discussion about the social value of different kinds of work when all kinds of work are important for a rich and varied and diverse economy. Okay, I'm presuming that you watched, um, uh, I think it was called Sorry We Missed You, the Ken Loach film. Um, I don't know if you've seen that one. I've not seen that. You've not. I should, I should make more time for watching. <laughs> it, it, it's a really, um, it's a harrowing watch, but it's uh, about uh, a, a family um, with a uh, delivery driver husband and a care worker uh, wife um, and their children um, and needless to say just the, the the way that kind of gig economy and the gig economy sounds attractive doesn't it but it's not when you look at no. those those no. roles um, but uh, having watched it and I think it was um, released maybe about 18 months ago and when the pandemic struck, it, it struck me to almost contact and reach out to Ken Loach and go, right, what does Abby do now? Abby was a care worker. Um, and what, you know, what would she do in that pandemic? She mm -hmm. had to work. She became the breadwinner for that family. Um, and without going to work and exposing herself to potential um, risk uh, with the pandemic and to the people that she actually loved and cared for very deeply. Um, she had no choice. Um, and that was uh, just a case in point, I thought, that moving forward, um, social care, goodness, that needs to be um, shored up, not just in terms of low pay, but also in terms of the, the contractual ar arrangements, the security of work. Uh, for those particular sectors. And that kind of ex explodes, perhaps, the myth around the attractiveness of the gig economy. 
I think so. I think precariousness is so damaging to mental health and well-being, you know, to not have an assurance within yourself, to not feel secure that the work you've got now will be there next week, next mm. month, mm. next year, is is hugely, hugely damaging. And yes, some of us sometimes appreciate flexibility around work, either in the number of hours we work or the places we work or um, being able to switch perhaps between full and part-time at different times in our lives. Um, and flexibility can work really well for some people, but that's not what we've got. We've got a vast number of people in precarious employment, and that is very, very damaging to their health and well-being and to that of their families as well. Absolutely. Kate, um, in, in some of these discussions, um, market forces have been flagged as a potential for changing some of this behaviour that um, the, the new consumers will insist on good employment standards before they engage with um, companies. And we've seen some, um, uh, and we, we, we cite Brewdog quite often um, as, a, as a company that um, actually shouts about the fact that they pay the real living wage and you know the, when did that become a discerning factor for buying beer um, but do you think market forces have got a possible role in delivering change around this agenda I'm sure they have a role but I suspect that in the near future it will be a smaller role than they've had in the recent past right um one of, one of the issues that I mean, Richard and I have been quite interested in for a long time is how do you make it easier for consumers and employees to exercise that market choice? You know, how do you know which companies are good employers? Yeah. How do you know which um, goods you can buy are from companies that, that treat their employees well? Um, and it it's easy with with some marks isn't it, like fair trade everybody recognizes the fair trade logo and you know if you want to buy a banana it's quite easy to know that you're buying a, a banana that's met certain standards um, that's why I think the Greater Manchester Good Employment Charter is so important because actually um, like the living wage accreditation that some companies choose to to um, go for it does give people a chance to operate those those choices and take their business to employers that are you know working in ways that fit with their values as as employees or consumers but it's quite hard to find out isn't it so i think yeah everything that you're doing to both um include more members you know to sign more people up to the charter but then to get that message out i think that's that's really important I suspect that with coming post-pandemic high levels of unemployment and potential recession and, 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 and having a long recovery period, it might be harder for employees and the um, and potential employees to exercise those choices. We'll have to see. But I think it makes it more important than ever for employers to be the ones who actually take the lead um, 
and, and set those standards for themselves, for everybody. I think that's going to be really important. Yeah, I think um, you know, the, the, the ambition to build back better, um, we absolutely need to fight and rail against the notion that any job is a good job. Um, yes, yes, that's exactly uh, what I meant. Yes, yes. Yeah, and, and I think there's, you know, there's noises already um, as we face, uh, you know, the, the end of furlough and we'll see levels of unemployment rise that um, there's a real danger if we don't um, find our own resilience um, to, to going down that route. We need to build an economy that um, values, uh, values work in a different way, I think. Okay, it's been really insightful. Um, uh, it's really um, fantastic for me to talk to you. I've, I've really enjoyed our conversation. If you were to um, be in front of Greater Manchester employers right now, um, what's the one thing you would ask them to consider doing to redress some of the uh, in deep inequalities that we have in the city? I think I would ask them to put their employees' well-being, and I mean well-being in a very broad sense, not just their health, physical health and mental health, but, but their well-being, at the heart of their decision-making and recognise that when they maximise well-being for those employees, that will also benefit their companies, their businesses. It, it will raise productivity it will increase trust and loyalty, and it will help make those workplaces, communities, teams that share that share values and ambition for that company and all pull together. Okay, many thanks. Um, the, the notion that um, an organisation isn't property, but it's community, I think is uh, a, an absolute core message that we will carry forward. Um, best wishes for the rest of the Commission's deliberation. You're, you're um, reporting in spring, is that right? We are reporting at the end of March, yes. Good. Well, we look forward to hearing your recommendations and um, playing our full part in delivering what we can through the Good Employment Charter. Okay, thank you, and thank you for indeed. all that you do. Thanks for having me, I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Since this episode was recorded, the Greater Manchester Independent Inequalities Commission have launched their report. To learn more and see the key recommendations for Greater Manchester's employers, you can find the report on the GMCA's website under Independent Inequalities Commission. Thanks for listening. We'd love it if you could subscribe, rate and leave us a review. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at GoodEmpCharter and LinkedIn to stay up to date with all the latest charter news. See you next time.